This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon, this is Front Row on The Bigger Picture and I'm Juliet Jacobs, a multi-hyphenated soul. Omar Musa is a Malaysian-Australian multidisciplinary artist. He's an author, rapper, poet, hip-hop artist and now also woodcut printer. He has to his credit a long list of accomplishments including four poetry books, four hip-hop records and he has written an acclaimed one-man play called Since Ali Died and his debut novel, Here Come the Dogs, was long listed for the International Dublin Literary Award and the Miles Franklin Award. Now his most recent work, Killer Nova, is a new collection of poetry and also woodcuts and has been described as an innovative form-blending exploration of identity, history and healing. And Omar joins me now to share more. Welcome, Omar. How are you today? Yeah, I'm so well. Thank you. I'm coming live and direct from Kota Kinabalu and it's a pleasure to be here with you, Juliet. Thank you so much for joining me. So I think our listeners need to know this, Omar, that you were last on this very same segment 12 years ago. Uh, it's so good to have you back on the show. And I remember back there, we were just talking about, you know, uh, slam poetry. It was so new, such a new concept to us <laughs> at the time and you were helping to break it down. Um, but you've, of course, come such a long way from then. And I do remember, you know, you telling me back then that, you know, you first realized the power of poetry when you were pretty young, if I'm not mistaken, right? Around eight years old, your dad introduced you to W.S. Rendra, that very famous Indonesian poet. Can you remind us about that? Yeah, so my father um, is a poet from Sandakan, um, Sabah, and I grew up in an artistic family. My mother is an arts journalist and was a theatre director, actually in Malaysia at USM uh, in Penang back in the late 70s, which is where my parents met. But I'm very much a product of the uh, Malaysian and Australian art scenes. And I remember when I was a little kid, my father introduced me to, as you say, W.S. Rendra, a great Indonesian poet. And he pointed at him and he said, you see this guy? This guy is a poet. And when he performs his poetry, it's just—it's not just in a dusty old bookshop to like five people. He would do it in stadiums full of people, political rallies. It affects change. And not only that, it's dangerous. You know, when he performs it with his whole body, he can really rally people and move people. And even one time, you know, someone threw a bomb on stage while he was performing. <laughs> and so <laughs> unlike my friends at school who thought that poetry was the most boring and d- dull kind of art ever, um, I grew up thinking that poetry was something exciting. And I remember at that moment, I was like, wow, maybe I want to be a poet. And, uh, and all, those, all these years later, here I am performing poetry around the world. It's, yeah, it's a crazy journey. Okay, and it's and it's very interesting. I, I do. I was reading some other uh, interviews as well, and I remember you saying that you you're sort of always in between. So you know, there was the Malaysian identity, there was the Australian identity, and you grew up in a in a place in Australia which uh, wasn't. I suppose, the, the most well-to-do neighbourhood, but you went to a private school and you were always navigating yep. these sort of dichotomies, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I sort of have just, I mean, you even called me a multi-hyphenate. I've always <laughs> thought of myself as um, living on the hyphen between these spaces and living in, well, it's almost a cliche now to talk about liminality, but yeah, living in those um, interstitial liminal spaces and trying to find them uh, instead, like instead of seeing them as somewhere dislocating or in no man's land, I now try to think of those spaces uh, as, as, as ones which uh, are fertile ground for the imagination and the cross-pollination of ideas in between cultures, um, in between places, in between generations or nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in between. That's the word you used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so many people are now. I'm not alone in that. You yes. know, in this kind of globalized world, especially even now 
with the internet and social media, people are becoming even more borderless and creating communities um, based on ideas, um, you know, more, more than places themselves sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And I'm just curious to know how all of those experiences, how all of those lived experiences actually came to influence your work, you know, the way you perform and all of that. I think, um, you know, when I was younger and maybe even sometimes now on a, on, in my darker moments, I, it makes me feel a little bit lost, like I'm a nowhere person. But as I say, I, I try to see it more as enriching now, different wellsprings that I can draw upon. And, and also maybe it gave me this idea um, that I, I kind of, I didn't see the, the borders between these different genres um, as, as things that I had to stick by or adhere to. I was always keen to knock down the walls and, and draw from these different places, whether it be culturally or artistically. So as you mentioned earlier, you know, I do visual art, I do poetry, I do music. Um, I've written a play, you know, I've worked in TV. I just see them all as different branches of the same river of storytelling and trying to express yourself through the arts and express universal emotions, rises, falls, love, pain, uh, you know, whatever it may be. All right. And I, I, I would like to talk about um, this this fourth book of yours, which is called Killer Nova. Um, that's a very interesting title. Uh, Omar. <laughs> what does it actually mean? I mean, or, or how did you come up with that? Why did you decide on that as the title? Ye- years ago, I, um, I wrote a poem, a commissioned poem for a planetarium in Melbourne. And it was about this idea of a Kilo Nova, K-I-L-O Nova, okay. a huge cataclysmic cosmic event that happens 130 million years ago where two neutron stars collapse into one another and create such a huge explosion that they send ripples through space and time that gradually, gradually gets smaller as time moves on until today they are so minute and microscopic that they're barely detectable and they can even pass through solid matter, but they're always there. And so I took this as a metaphor for these huge cataclysmic events that happen in our own personal and collective histories, whether it be some type of family trauma or heartache or larger things like colonization itself, um, that are huge events and they send ripples through space and time that sometimes you can't even see with the, with the naked eye, but they're always there and they always affect us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the metaphor that I used with that, okay. with that book. So it's very pervasive in that sense, right? Whether or not you can see it, but it's always there. Definitely. And I think that these things are ever present beneath the surface of our lived experiences, whether it's um, layers of meaning beneath the surface of the skin that you're trying to delve into or the surface of the page. Uh, This idea of, of layering and kind of accretion is something I'm really interested in in my work. Mm-hmm. And how would you describe? I'm afraid I haven't had the chance to to see the book, you know, in person. But I've been discovering the internet. I've been looking through, you know, pictures and and uh, you know other reviews, and uh, it looks amazing. But how would you describe? Let's talk about the poetry first before we talk about the other aspects of it. Yeah, the, how would you describe sure. the collection of poetry in Kilanova? I mean, what are some of the themes that you explore? I explore themes uh, like borderlessness. Um, race relations in Australia, the history of Nusantara and Borneo. I focus a lot on Eastern Malaysia and Eastern Indonesia. I talk about lost love, recovery, uh, complicity, you know, looking beneath the surface of something 
that we celebrate, for example, like food in Malaysia mm. and looking at how that can be a metaphor for our cosmopolitan past and history, but at the same time, oftentimes, you know, cheap food that we celebrate is based on exploitative labour practices. Uh, so I'm looking to complicate mythology in a book like this. Uh, and so the poetry is one side of it, but I also explore it through woodcut prints and visual art. Yeah. Um, a, a few years ago, I was here in Sabah and, you know, woodcut prints is like a really popular art form here, especially amongst um, people in the punk rock scene. And I just kind of happened upon it when I was in um, Tamparuli, an hour from here. I kind of haphazardly came across this form and was taught by a local guy, well, a guy from Sandakan actually called Eric Lost Control, a uh, punk rocker. Yeah. who was running a little workshop and I had been a huge fan of the collective here, Pangrok Sulap, whose studio I'm in right now doing this interview actually. Yeah. Um, and so I was keen to give it a go, but I was so scared because I'd never, I mean, I'd been into drawing as a kid. My, my, my Aussie grandma often connected with me in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, for some reason I was so nervous, but it came at a point in my life where I had lost the love for writing and performing and I wanted to find something new. And so it came just at the right time. I became immediately addicted to this form of carving the wood with my designs, rolling it with ink and then pressing it to paper or cloth using our feet. That's the way people do it here. And, and actually in Indonesia and in Cambodia as well, I've heard of people doing it that way. Um, and, and here they say that if you press it with your feet and then dance or play music, and the guys here always do it, uh, it, gives the, it gives the artwork extra samanga, you know, extra spirit. And so with that samanga, I went forward and I started combining the, the artworks and the poetry, hopefully to come up with a bit of a fresh form, which I then celebrate in this new book, Kilanova. Mm-hmm. And and I read this. Um, you you said that I carve my stories in wood. My ancestors sailed in wood. They will carry me out in wood. Would you like? Uh, maybe you can help explain what you meant by that and how exactly you've translated that into this book. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I was connecting with an ancient heritage. You know, every tribe of Borneo, whether it's Orang Ulu, right up the rivers in in the heart of the island or the tribes of the coastline, like my biological grandfather's people, the Suluk, or even my grandmother's people, uh, the Kadayan, who carved their grave markers in Belian ironwood. Every single tribe in Borneo, because it's the most, oh, sorry, it was once the most forested island in the world, has carved wood beautifully. And so this modern art form, or seemingly modern art form of woodcut prints to create punk rock and activist posters is actually, in my mind, part of a really ancient lineage. And so for me, it wasn't just learning a new art form. It was, in a way, relearning something that was already in my blood. Mm-hmm. And how was that experience for you? Like like you mentioned, you know, you had the punk rock Sulap folks there. You had others that you were drawing all sorts of inspiration from. I think Yi Lan was also, you know, uh, you know one of your mentors. Talk, talk to me about, you know, all those different collaborations. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think subconsciously over the years, I'd, I'd sort of come to believe in a much more westernized individualistic approach to the arts where the artist was almost autocratic in their decision making mm-hmm. um, and their imposition of ideas upon the page um, or upon an audience in a very singular way, like almost as if I was like this lone warrior or, or samurai, you know, like <laughs> waging war by myself, wandering through the countryside. 
And and here I kind of yeah I, under the mentorship of Pangok Sulat, but also Ilan, as you say, I learned the value again of collaboration and the strength in that. And kind of based on this idea of maybe like a tikar, you know, a traditional woven mat that people would sit around in the in a circle in a more egalitarian way and exchange ideas and stories, um, and and then you know say Pangok Sulat here. They sign their artworks with the collective name. They, they work on it eight people at once. Um, and so that sort of sense of community and collaboration, um, not just artistically brought my joy and power back, uh, but it also made me, I guess, rethink my whole kind of ideology behind art making and practice. Mm-hmm. And I was reading that, um, and, and you sort of alluded to it, that, you know, you were facing some dark times, uh, you know, and you, some some mental health issues you've mentioned mm-hmm. as well. You know, you had come to hate writing and performing your so-called, you know, quote unquote, lifelong passions. How did you come to terms with those emotions? And how did, and, and dare I say, how did you come out of it, you know, through this work? Uh, well, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes those are difficult spaces to press into and difficult to when, when you start scratching at those scabs but actually I think um, that joy that I alluded to earlier through collaboration that I found with woodcutting is what brought the joy back to my art so this other mythology I'd created or at least maybe subconsciously inherited was this stupid one of like that you you have to create good art from a place of pain um, uh. <laughs> and, you, you, you know, almost like the, the, the Hemingway, Bukowski type of thing of, um, you know, the, the self-destructive, hard-living, hedonist <laughs> writer. And I almost had this, this idea that with each piece of work the artist or writer puts out into the world, they lose a piece of themselves and, they, and as their legacy or work becomes bigger, they themselves become smaller and smaller and are diminished until eventually I'll, there'll be nothing left of me, you know. Um, and so actually I realised that if, and I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic when I say this, um, and especially when talking about mental health struggles, uh, I felt that if I wanted to keep living, if I wanted to keep living, I had to find a new place from which to make my art. And so it was essential that I, that I created this new work in this book from a place of joy and playfulness and freedom as opposed to kind of self-destruction and darkness. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy to hear that that you know that that was the case for you, and I'm glad that you know it was it was a cathartic. I suppose am I using the right word for you? That this whole uh, you know doing learning woodcutting and, and you know learning all these new things and you know trying to merge and create a whole new different sort of artwork in that sense in the in the form of this poetry book, which is quite yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but also connect with something bigger than myself, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and with, with a community. And the other night we had the book launch here in Kota Kinabalu, right here in Pangotsulap studio, and that whole community came out. And there was so much power and, and joy in that. And I do think, I mean, not that see, I'm getting a, bit, uh, getting a bit deep here, but if there is to be any meaning ascribed to our lives, I feel that one of the things I've come across that ascribes meaning to my life is to connect with something larger than myself. And, um, you know, whether, whether that be helping out the community in the way or just with uh, an artistic community. And, um, and yeah, it was really emboldening and empowering. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And is, is Kepakina Balu your base now or are you sort of moving around still? What's happening? I'm kind of moving around. So I'm in, in, at the beginning of a world tour. Um, so I started in Makassar in Indonesia and then came here to, uh, back to KK. Um, and now I'm about to go to KL, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, got the book launch on Saturday at Hush and Snap at KL City Art Gallery, 8 p.m. Yep, uh, yep. And then I'm off for my UK book tour. Then I'm going to Amsterdam. Germany, Canada, uh, and then finishing up in Lagos, Nigeria at a writers' festival. So I'm going to, um, yeah, we'll have performed in five continents by the end of the year. Um, but I don't really have a base. I packed up my whole flat in, uh, in Australia, in Queanbeyan, and now I'm sort of looking for a new place and everything's on the table. But <laughs> I can say, I can say that Kota Kinabalu at the moment is the front runner. So, yeah, they might <laughs> see me back here sooner rather than later. And it's wonderful. I love that, you know, there's such a collaborative feel there. There's so much, it's a, it's a community, right? It's a, it feels very welcoming, I'm guessing, just by how you've described it. It sounds really lovely. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's a, it's a small scene. Um, you know, I think um, for a long time, Sabah and Sarawak has been kind of um, ignored, uh, you know, by Simananjung um, as, as a place that's maybe, you know, a cultural wasteland in terms of art, the arts. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't mean culture in terms of like the various different ethnic groups and whatnot. I mean in terms of the arts itself. Um, and so it does feel like it's a small but very quickly growing and flourishing scene over here, particularly music-wise and visual arts-wise. Okay. And um, are you also going to be so now? Of course, you know uh, Killer Nova. I'm guessing it took a lot, a big chunk of your time. But uh, what are some other projects that you're going to be working on? You know, uh, maybe post World Tour. What are some things in the pipeline? Uh, I'm working on a novel at the moment um, that I'm supposed to be working on for about like eight years for Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, novels are allowed to take a long, a long period yeah, of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I've also um, been working on a play for Sydney Theatre Company, um, but probably won't get fully back into that until next year. Okay. So, yeah, I think that'll keep me pretty occupied. Okay, excellent. <laughs> and of course, you know, anyone who's listening, you are going to be in KL uh, this Saturday uh, for Hush and Snap Volume 3. Um, and this is the official uh, KL launch of Kilanova, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It is. I really can't wait to to celebrate it and share it with everybody. It's been a long, long time since I've been to KL, so it's going to be great to reconnect. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm guessing that I'm hoping there'll be readings by you as well, or yeah, those sorts of things. A performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. going to be all sorts of people performing, and um, I'm going to be performing a little bit of poetry, a little bit of music, and. Uh, yeah, it's going to be wonderful. It's it's so exciting, isn't it? Like now, yeah. sort of. Oh, I was going to say post-pandemic world. I mean, I know it's still <laughs> still very much present. <laughs> yep. Um, but you know, I think we all we all need these these types of events to to reconnect, yeah. plug back in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I don't know if this is putting you on the spot, but is there anything from Kilanova? Just a short snippet that maybe you can give us a preview of right now. Is that possible? Okay. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to just do the shortest poem okay. in the book. Okay. It's called Invisible Map, and it's after a great Swedish poet, Nobel laureate called Thomas Tranströmer. And it just goes like this. It's only four lines. Behind every poem, there is an invisible poem. Behind every map, there is an invisible map. Behind every you, there is an invisible you. The search and impossibility an imperative and that's 
what my approach to this book was. It's, I was just about to say, it sounds like you just encapsulated everything that you just discussed with me about Kilanova. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much, Omar, uh, for speaking with me today. Um, any last message you'd like to leave us with? Anything at all? No, I'm just really excited um, to, to, to share that spirit of collaboration and community and this new book of artwork with, with you guys in um, KL. So come through. And, uh, and we'll share some smangat together. <laughs> Raise <laughs> Maybe those spirits. Bring some tikar, you know, sit down, have some conversations, you know, who knows what can be, uh, what, what can, you know, be born from those conversations as well. Um, and, exactly. And just a quick one, uh, Umar, how can we get our hands on the book and also, you know, all your previous other works? At the moment, people will have to order the book through Broken Sleep Books in the UK okay. or Penguin Australia. Um, so, yeah, it's being published over there. It, it shouldn't be too hard, actually. I think they do ship internationally. Um, and at the launch, though, I'll have a whole bunch um, okay. for sale. So okay. that's the best way is to get them in person. Okay, excellent. So that launch, of course, is happening at Hush and Snap Volume 3. As Omar mentioned, it's happening at KL City Art Gallery on Saturday, the 23rd of July, from 8pm to 12 uh, midnight. Uh, I think entrance is 30 ringgit. Other featured acts include Lily Jamaluddin and Kimchi Lai. And if you'd like to find out more about Hush and Snap, you can head to instagram.com slash Hush and Snap. And for inquiries, you can contact Pravin Kumar at pravthekumar at gmail.com. And if you'd like to find out more about Omar and his work, just head to omarmusa.com.au or we can follow you on uh, social media, right, Omar? Uh, at Omar yep. Bin Musa. Yeah, that's right. At Omar Bin Musa on Instagram. But also check out Spotify. I've got plenty of music. I've got a new single out, a new music video on my YouTube. So yeah, there's plenty of content out there for, for everyone to dig into, dig into the layers of. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much. I've been speaking to Omar Musa, multi-hyphenated soul, as I said, author, poet, rapper, hip-hop artist, woodcut printer, you name it, he's done it, multidisciplinary artist. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash front dash row, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Front Row on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Oh, child, oh, Oh child of mine Oh child, oh child Oh child of mine Oh child of mine I can never quite say what I'm trying to say I speak to my grandma and broken my leg Digging deep for a poem that's inside of my veins Then a smile says everything I'm trying to convey See your eyes glowing with a special kind of knowing Now I'm overflowing with the gratitude and poems Each day I wake with a deep sense of fear Crazy how it find a new form to reappear uh, Dear listener, do you feel it too? Do you feel my pain? Do you hear my truth? Insecurities, they tear me apart. Even pre-pandemic, I was wearing a mask. Very strange days in the time of the plague. Like an off-key melody for every place. Then I think of something that my grandmother would say. Dear child, you shall not be afraid. Oh child, oh child. Oh child of mine. Oh child of mine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.